This is the Coast and Country podcast from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country. I never tire of the journey. It's not like travelling to work every day on a, on a train or a bus. I still get excited going look, on the ferry. We look back, and that's the Firth of Clyde off to the left there, and we have the arm of Argyll coming down as we head across to the island of Butte. It's a short crossing, but it's a very special one, which has got this history about it of going down the water. People from Glasgow came during the water, but because I came from a village called Neilston, we came on holiday in what was called the Paisley Fair, not the Glasgow Fair. It was a trades holiday. It was like two weeks in July, was it? Yes. So for this week's Open Country, we're in a way following in your footsteps, Shona Lawson, yes, to Butte. And we're going... Dun the water, as they always used to call it. But we still call it Dun the water. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's a generation thing, but that's what everybody that I know, that's how they refer to it. You're going Dun the water. This is the journey that we would make every year to go on holiday to Butte. And I can remember it as if it was yesterday. What age were you? The earliest I can remember, I would be about four. But I do have photographs proving that I had been there at a much earlier age. So who were you with? I was with my grandparents, my mum and dad, and two brothers. It was really anyone from the west of Scotland coming to Butte. And it was very exotic because we'd never seen palm trees. We didn't have holidays abroad to compare it with. So the fact that you came to an, an island was very, very exciting because you didn't feel that you were still in Scotland. So we're on the ferry from Weems Bay. This was always the place that you left from, was it? Absolutely. And we're just off the west coast of Scotland because this particular island that we're heading to now was thought to be pretty special. In fact, so special that the suggestion has been made to designate Butte as a blue space because of the healing nature of the seas and the skies that surround it. But as you said yourself, people have been coming here for years. I think part of the appeal is that it was accessible to people and it was also affordable, but it was still totally different from their ordinary, everyday lives. And that was really, I think, why it was so special. I mean, at one time, when you look back at old photographs, the boats would actually be queuing up to unload their passengers. The sun seemed to shine. All I think we can all do when we look back. Holidays were better, holidays were sunnier. But as you can see, looking at this, it is sparkling. I mean, it's, it is just beautiful. And blue. So very, blue. very blue. You made the decision to move there in later life. Sometimes nostalgia can be a very dangerous thing because it doesn't live up to your expectations. But I think my time in Rossi, the island of Butte, it, it's exceeded my expectations because by actually living here, I've discovered things that I hadn't time to uncover when it was just two weeks in a year. People don't go on that journey so much now compared to when you were young, do they, Shona? No. I feel that people uh, have been spoiled, in a sense, 
going abroad and, and they think that Lanzarote or, or Tenerife or even now further afield Thailand but they forget that we have jewels and this is a jewel and jewels have to uh, be appreciated and I just hope that if it does come into to being that Butte becomes a designated blue space that more people will be able to appreciate and enjoy what it has to offer. I've arrived in Rothsey, this is where the ferry leaves us off, and I'm standing on the promenade. We've got the town, which has got quite a, um, a Victorian feel about it when you look along the houses along the front. I'm looking out back across the water, and I'm with James Macmillan. Now, you would be known, James, as a Brandine. That's, That's right. That's the name for a local person born and bred. It is indeed. It's a local person born on the island, uh, known as a Brandine. There's various stories about how it got its name, but I think the one I like best is probably a follower of St Brendan. Yeah, the navigator. Well, we're down on the, the quayside now. When we're looking back across the water, it is the most beautiful, calm day. We've got blue skies. Just explain how Butte sits off the west coast of Scotland because I'm looking across at great hills on the other side of the water, but is that Butte? That's the hills of the Cowell Peninsula, which is around Rossi Bay. The, in in the, the words of the song, Rossi Bay, it's the great black hills like sleeping kings sit grand round Rossi Bay. So that's the great black hills of Cowell. And Butte is really, in a way, tucked in. Very sheltered island. Very sheltered by the Cowell Peninsula and the Kyles uh, of Butte. So it's a very sheltered spot indeed. And a very temperate climate as well as a result of that. And what size is the island? It's about 15 miles long and from about two and a half to five miles wide. So it's quite long and, and narrow, really. And Rossi sits pretty well in the centre of the island. Right, on this coast here, yes. on the, we're on the east coast. We're on the east coast, that's great. The lie of the land, explain, you've got the forest up at one end of the island, that's at the north? That's right, the forest at the north end of the island, then you've got the Highland Fault runs through, right through almost where we're standing now, so anything north of here is in the Highlands, we're standing in the lowlands at the moment. Because <laughs> so of the geographical fault? Yes, it goes right through Butte, there's, it goes right through the two lochs in the centre of the island, Loch Fad and the Queen Loch, and that marks the Highland Fault line. So that means the geology of the north is different to Absolutely. the geology of the south of the The geology island. of the north tends to be obviously harder mm-hmm. rocks and so on. The south is sandstone and much softer and it's more arable. So it's like two different islands mm-hmm. in many ways. And what about the population of the island? Because when you think of when they came for the fortnight's holiday, there must have been thousands of people in those two weeks. Very unlike it would normally be. Absolutely. Um, the population of the island now is about 7,500, but during the peak of the of Glasgow Fair time, which was really from the late Victorian era right up to the 60s, there was a 30,000 people on the island for the, uh, at that time of year. It's quite colossal, you think. It's four times the population that's here now. It must have been creaking at the seams. <laughs> when does that date back to people coming to Butte to have their time away from home? I think probably the first steamship to come to Butte was 200 years ago with the, with the Comet in 1812, and that was really the start of it. But I think the real tourism traffic really began to build from the 1860s onwards. So it was about 100 years of very, very busy tourism on the island. The Victorians used this place. It became noted as a, as a great place for taking the waters, as they say. And in the second half of the 19th century, there were two hydropathic hotels built on the island. Uh, one at Port Bannatyne, just to the north of Rossi, and one in Rossi itself, the Glenburn Hotel, or the Glenburn Hydro, as it was. So it became a very noted place for healthy living, long before it became fashionable. James, there's this idea that Butte could be 
designated as a blue space. And it comes from research that was done by Dr Ronan Foley, who's of the National University of Ireland in Maynooth. And he was looking at how places like this, with blue waters and great blue skies, have a history of healing. It had to do with, really, with the location, but really with the waters, with the colours and the waters. What do you think of that idea? I think it's a great idea. It's almost as if things have come full circle since the Victorian times, uh, but this is a, a modern version of that, really. It's a tremendous um, idea, and it's one that we'd really want to try and take forward locally. At the heart of the research that Ronan Foley did, it's the idea of the big open blue space, but it's the waters within that space that are very important to him. They play an important part on the island. They do in many ways. I mean, obviously the island's surrounded by water. We rely on the water for transport. The water is very clean and pure, as we mentioned earlier on. And there's also a loch at the south end of the island, Loch Nalee, which is south of Colcatton Bay, and that means in the Gaelic uh, loch of the healing, so it goes back a long, long way. Taking to the waters, drinking them, being by them, or, as I'm going to do now, James, going out on them. Enjoy. (laughs) When I said I was going to experience the waters of the Isle of Butte, that was no exaggeration because I've come to the west side of the island to a bay which is called what? St Ninian's Bay. St Ninian's Bay. And if you imagine this lovely long bay and the tide has receded so we've got a great stretch of golden sands and there are seabirds sort of feeding along the edge of the water. And then if we look at the shoreline, we've got little cottages just dotted along a blue, blue sky and we have the chalk lines left behind by the the jets as they've gone overhead. It is a beautiful setting and I'm with Roddy McDowell and you run a kayak company, Kayak Butte, and you are going to give me a special experience of going out onto the waters. It'll be a pleasure, Helen, to go out and do some introduction to this wonderful craft, the sea kayak. And this is a natural environment for this very long, slim craft because we can go along the shorelines very easily. We can make speed, we can make journeys and we can explore the indentations of our coastline, the caves, the rock features of what is an ancient journeying landscape. Now, I'm in the boat, so how do I get the boat onto the water. Do I have to rely on you to give me a bit of a shove? For today, I'll give you a little bit of a shove. But if we were to work together for a couple of days, you would be completely self-reliant. In fact, by the end of the afternoon, you will be able to launch and land. But I'll give you a wee shove. Although if we keep talking for long enough, because the tide is rising, (laughs) you're going to be afloat. Afloat anyway. (laughs) Afloat anyway, which is fantastic. Okay, here we go, Helen. Oh, and out we go. Oh, into the glimmering blue waters. The idea is that the waters of Butte have been suggested as a great blue space, a healing space. Do you think there's a truth, a substance in that? I think there is absolutely truth and substance in what you've said, Helen. It is always the case that when people take to the kayak, the other things that are in their head from their work, from their lives, are put in perspective. The kayak takes us on this transitionary journey between the land and the sea, 
And although we're sitting in the sea today and it's calm and tranquil, sometimes it tests us to our limits as well. So when we make that transition from the land to the sea, from the green space to the blue space, we need to be mindful and respectful of the environments that are so big and that we have to respect utterly. We need skills, and I think one of the greatest skills is humility and letting ourselves be part of that space. And when we do that, all the other stuff in our lives goes into a perspective that is different. And that's very healing in itself, isn't it? That's... It is. When I came over on the ferry, we were hearing stories about how people came over in their droves for their holidays on Butte. They came doing the water. Well, we're sort of coming doing the water and weave it ourselves, aren't we? Yes. But there's a history of people coming to the island to escape from the greyness of their life. So maybe the healing idea is not so new. Absolutely. It's not, in human terms, more than a blink of an eye since Glasgow was second city of the empire, industrial might and grime, and people sought sanctuary on the coastline, away from the factories and the pollution. And whilst that heavy industry has, by and large, gone and changed, that place of sanctuary is still very much to the fore in what brings people to these environments to the island of Butte. I've come a little bit further along the west coast and I've come to a place that's known as Scalpsy Bay. And Paul Duffy, who's an archaeologist, is going to take me on a walk, which he he gives um, a fairly uh, robust title to. <laughs> I think our challenge, Helen, is uh, really to do 8,000 years of history in eight minutes, walking down the path from the car park down towards the beach. So we'll see how we do. <laughs> right, let's start that history lesson. <laughs> you believe that this short walk that we have down to the beach, we can learn about the ancient history of Scotland? Yep. I mean, Butte itself is really the, the story of Scotland in, in miniature, if you like. It's somewhere where you can really understand from the first human settlers right the way through, I suppose, to the kind of tourist boom that affected a lot of the west coast of Scotland in the 1930s and 1940s. You can really understand everything from then to now sort of thing. And Scalpsy was a particularly fantastic location for being able to understand it. I mean, our story here kind of starts, I suppose, uh, immediately post-Ice Age, when you have the retreat of the ice sheets and you've got a much higher sea level. And although we've got no physical evidence of uh, those early people, those hunter-gatherer fishers in the Mesolithic, we can see the land that they probably ranged on and over to just behind where we're standing now, the raised beaches and that relic cliff line that sits along the top is probably the early shore that they actually walked on. Mm -hmm. So after that, those Mesolithic hunter-gatherer fisher people decide to settle into the landscape, then we get to you know what most people call the Neolithic. Um, we're looking at about 4,000 years ago when people settled down and first start to farm this land. But if you look over to the right where we are, um, there's a small rickle of stones in the field. Oh, Paul, I've got it, yes. Yeah, yeah, a the, rickle of stones, yeah. is that an archaeological term? I or? think that, yes, yes. That it's would like... be one of the highly technical terms we tend to use. So, so it's like a wall? Yeah, well, basically, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a mound of stone. Mm -hmm. And what we think that now is is probably an early chambered cairn. It's a Neolithic place of the dead, basically. And it would have been on the raised edge of the raised beach. Water would have been where we are standing now. And they would have been looking across this blueness to Aran, 
and the Holy Isle at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, see, I mean, certainly it's a very special <laughs> place today and I think mm-hmm. a very special place then as well. Next thing we normally talk about is the Bronze Age. And again, if we take a look back from just about where we're standing just now and stop and turn behind us, then we can see what effectively is a, a Bronze Age barrow. It's another burial site. We carried out excavations there in 2010 as part of uh, the community archaeology project that was running as part of Discover Butte. We were basically trying to encourage people into the landscape to experience archaeology, to experience the fun of archaeology and working in teams of people and learning stuff about the past. And getting them to understand their own landscape, which was unexplored. Yeah, no, exactly. And our Iron Age example on this landscape is really, again, if we look to the right... There's a small mound which just sits to my right up against the middle distance and there's a rickle of stones just at the top and then about four sheep gently grazing on yes, top of it. Yeah. Now, that is uh, the remains of Dunscalpsy. Dunscalpsy is an Iron Age Dun site. Um, Dun Castle? Yeah. Well, or a small, a small defended homestead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, has come to mean castle quite a lot, but certainly like in a small defended homestead made entirely of stone. Um, and that's... Again, that location looking out to the west. Yeah. Yeah, and the interesting thing, it's a very good point, because the interesting thing about the Duns on Butte is they're all on the west coast. The predominant area of settlement now is the east coast, with Rossi and Colcanton Bay and Port Bannantyne, but the Dun sites and most of the Iron Age sites are all on the west coast. So the question is, what were people looking to defend themselves against or keep an eye on or try to understand? So we, we move on from those Iron Age kind of Duns and we move, I suppose, into the medieval period. Now... I have to confess we have to jump a bit because the early medieval period here, the only real bit that we have is if we kick our heads round the the headland to the south of us, then we can just about see uh, the sites of Donegoyle and we can't actually see St Blaine's because it hides behind it, but Donegoyle and St Blaine's, but they are probably two of the most significant early historic sites that we've got on the island. Dark Age, I think, would generally be the technical term. We are just now at the back of Scalpsy Beach. There are a few people sitting on deck chairs there and there are youngsters out in the water and there's just a constant shimmer from the sea. And from here, I suppose, you can kind of see the last couple of bits, if you like. I feel I can't leave you in the medieval period. So (laughs) the last couple of bits of our story really are situated in kind of the later period. On the the slope, if you like, on the top of the raised beach, we have Tom's Cuts. Uh, Robert Tom was an engineer who basically bought the cotton mills in Rothsey when they went bankrupt in 1813. Now, they went bankrupt because coal was making the mainland cotton mills com- very competitive, so they couldn't compete with the coal costs. It was too expensive to import and debut, and we didn't have any coal ourselves. Now, Tom's clever solution to it was hydropower. So, effectively, he created a network of 13 kilometres of cuts, as we call them, little canals and little ditches, to channel and harvest all the water from the whole south of the island back into Loch Fad and into the Kirkdam Reservoir, which then fed the lead which ran right down the centre of Rothsey past his cotton mills. You can see that all over the landscape uh, here. There's remnants all over the landscape. And the final part of our story, I suppose, is really stretched out in front of us. The beautiful beach, as you said, but you'll see in amongst the sand, you'll see these posts that stick up. Mm-hmm. Now, these posts are part of uh, the defence of Britain, basically, in 1940, 1941. There was an act of belief, not just a fear, but an act of belief that Britain was open to invasion at any point. So there was a huge programme of fortification of Britain that went on right the way around the coast. And the posts, effectively, the remains of either anti-glider posts or barbed wire strings, basically, to stop people landing on this beach. 
And if we're here thinking about being out in a blue space, you know, open, fresh air, what better place is there to learn about our history but actually out here in that? Exactly. I mean, I think somebody once said, unless you know your history, you're like a leaf that doesn't even know it's on the tree. And I think that's very true in spaces like this to give you kind of a, a grounding and an understanding of where people come from and where they originate. Then open spaces like this, as you said, surrounded by the blue of the water and the blue of the sky is absolutely fantastic. And there's a process of healing or release or whatever you'd call it in landscapes like this. And I think Scalpsy is one of the, the finest places I would say in the world to do it. So You can take a whole lap round the island, having left Scalpsy Bay, down the eastern side of the island, heading back towards Rothsey. But I've got a stop-off point here. The water is very sheltered and it is glass calm. And Philip Kirkham has brought me here because this is one of his favourite places to take photographs, but I think maybe just to be. It's very sheltered and we've still got that glow of blue round us, Philip. Gorgeous. I think this beach sums up Butte. The sea is crystal clear. It's wonderful azure blue. The sky is blue today. There's wildlife. We've got otters here, sea otters. There's seals. There's all sorts of bird life. We've got ospreys overhead. We've even seen sea eagles here. And we're within an hour and a half of a busy town centre of Glasgow. Yes. Your, your profession these days is as a photographer. What a landscape for you to take photographs in, isn't it? It's stunning. I mean, the, the reason I came here was because of the beauty of the place. Wherever you point a camera, you get a wonderful picture. Uh, you get the blues, the greens. In winter, you get the various browns. As you can see, even on this beach, you get the different coloured rocks. You get the granite here, mm -hmm. the black granite and the sandstone just beyond. To set up here, to get a nice photograph, I, I would probably set up my tripod and camera probably exactly where we're standing now because there's some nice rocks here that would lead your eye if you can see the line of these dark rocks it would lead your eye right down into the pic the middle of the picture which is blue which is blue we've got the nice trees on the right so that would frame the top right hand side of the picture mm -hmm. and on the left your eye would be taken from the rocks to the sea to the trees and then round to the left to the expanse of blue sea and the mountains, green mountains and the Isle of Cumbrae beyond. So I'll look through the viewfinder, get everything nicely framed. Oh, and a swift just there, and a swift, down yeah. into the water. I actually just missed that, but... What do you think about the idea of Butte being designated as a blue space? I think it's absolutely perfect, and, it, and it's certainly perfect for Butte because we have this wonderful blue sea all the way around the island. But there's blue sea, you know, everywhere when we've got blue skies. Why well, is it any different? Ah, but there isn't, because around the, the west coast, the sea's a lot cleaner around here. This coast, as you can see, you can see right through the water to the bottom. The air is very unpolluted around here, so we've no air pollution. At night, you can look out here and there's no light, so there's no light pollution. So you get at night time, when you look outside, the, the base colour is blue. So you see blue, no matter what time of day or night you're looking, you see blue. And even in the distance, if you look at distant hills, the further away they are, the more blue they look. As you can see over right in the distance at the other end of Cumbria, those hills are starting to turn blue. 
and that's the colour that we see around Butte. Everything is blue. But what's being said when the research was being done was that blue water and the open air that surrounds the water, you know, there are healing properties about it. I'm sure there are healing properties. As we know, people have been coming here for hundreds of years because of the supposed healing properties. But I think it's the fact that you unwind. You go outside and you're at one with nature. You can see whatever wildlife there is around and you feel relaxed. It's, and surely it's good for the body to feel that, that relaxed. You made the move here. Are you going to stay? Yes, I, yes, I intend to end my days here, to be honest. I mean... It is relaxing, isn't it? Just to stand here, isn't it? Under that lovely sun and see the gentle waves over the rocks. It's just, you could fall asleep. I often do. <laughs>